He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the 73rd hole. Colby Powell, Taylor Williams with you today. Sam Humphreys down at Greyhawk, chilling in Scottsdale. He'll be back with us on Wednesday to preview the Honda Classic later in the week. Hope he's having a good time down there, posting some scores from Greyhawk. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at SamHumphreys34. Follow us at the 73rd hole on Twitter, Instagram, 73rd hole. And, of course, we are the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Head over to GolfOklahoma.org. Check out everything that they put out as college golf is rolling along PGA championship quickly approaching amateur golf in the state of Oklahoma as good as it has ever been go check it out golfoklahoma.org. lot to get into today a lot of Saudi conversation over the weekend Michael Gellerman comes close on the corn ferry tour we had the big cat on the broadcast over the weekend but Taylor we've got to start with Joaquin Neiman one of the young stars in the game of golf 19 under starts 63-63 at Riv, and it was not playing easy those two days. He and Cameron Young went went pretty crazy low those first two days, and Neiman created enough of a gap for himself that over the weekend, nice little 68-71, and he brings it home. This was a big-time performance from Joaquin Neiman. Oh, I mean, it, it was just unreal, Colby. I mean, we go back and look on it, and you know, I, I'm thinking back on some of the biggest quote-unquote heaters that I can remember golfer being on. And Joaquin Neiman, those first, what was it, 46 holes of the tournament, whatever it was, I mean, he was just on an unbelievable roll. I mean, he birdied, he eagled 10, which was kind of, eagled 10 on Saturday, which was the peak of his uh, overall weekend for sure because he got the 21 under, didn't, didn't birdie 11 after that when he had a chance to, and then made two bogeys coming in <clears throat> to finish at 19 under, and obviously shot even yesterday to propel him to a, not really an easy win, but definitely a lot easier than we've seen some of the other guys deal with this year. But, I mean, I mean, Colby, from what I saw on, on that Saturday, I was like, man, is this guy going to play bad golf? Because he, he birdied he birdied one, obviously, which is essentially a par four. I mean, for anyone who was well, – they played like point, 4.05 or something like that. So, yeah, it was just basically a, a not even a hard par four in that sense. Pretty easy. But he birdied five, he birdied seven, he birdied eight, and then came along in, in eagle ten. And I'm thinking – I, is, is he just going to run away with it, shoot 30-something under? You, you have two things that are going to happen there. He's either going to run, run away with it or we're going to see an, an epic collapse um, from Neiman there because I didn't think anyone was going to come get him, especially at 21 under. And as we see there, the next best was 17 under at being Morikawa, Cameron Young, who I want to get a little bit into. Cameron Young had a really good weekend and definitely an inspiration to all those uh, people out there, rookie on tour. So that was really good to see shot at 62 on Friday. But, yeah, Colby, I mean, just from what I saw, it was – Ever since the end of end of Thursday, really, it was Neiman's tournament to lose, and Colby he just never wanted to give it back. Yeah, he definitely didn't. And I think Taylor, it's really easy to lose sight of how young Joaquin Neiman is because he's been out there for a while. He was the number one amateur in the world. We've we've known about and we've seen Joaquin Neiman for a long time. Joaquin Neiman is 23 years old, and he just turned 23 in November. For a point of reference, he is more than two years. He's about two years and three months younger than Will Zalatoris. He's a full year younger than Sahith Thigala. Taylor, he's a year younger than Cameron Young. The 
PGA Tour rookie who was in his group over the weekend. Joaquin Neiman is remarkably young, so whenever you talk about the young stars in the game, it's easy to forget because he's been out here for a long time. Joaquin Neiman is a pup. He is 23 years old, and he just went 63-63 at Riv and coasted to a weekend win. You know, he had some lip outs yesterday. He he didn't hit it as well. I think he hit nine greens, lost almost four shots putting yesterday, but he was so far out in front of the field that, I mean, nobody could come and get him. Morikawa gave it everything he had yesterday with a 65, and that ridiculous ridiculous chip in I think he had it was on the third hole I believe where he was down below the surface of the green and was able to get it up and in but Taylor Joaquin Neiman I think just how young he is is maybe a little underplayed just because he's been out there so long I mean yeah what is he up to now 20th in the world or something like that and you know Cole, I want to ask you that why like golf just seems to be weird like that you know it's like certain young guys they'll build a grasp onto like like we talk about him all the time Mateo Manicero remember how big the deal he w- he was coming out mm-hmm. and it's just for whatever reason golfers people tend to get on certain young golfers but then other ones they don't like Joaquin Neiman because like you said Colby I mean he was born in you know I got it right here's born 1998 I mean gosh dang <laughs> that you want to talk about a young buck I mean 23 years old I mean that's that's unbelievable and he was one of that's what's weird about it too it's not like he was just some amateur who came out of nowhere and he's having a couple good weeks he's one of the best amateurs of of the last decade. I mean, he was number one for the longest time, it seemed like. And, you know, uh, Colby, what, what's your opinion on that? Why do you think that certain golfers, uh, certain young golfers get a lot more polarization than others? Yeah, I don't know. You mentioned Mateo Manicero, and, you know, he's not American either, but I was thinking the American draw, you know, you get high-ranked Americans who are amateurs, uh, like a Matthew Wolf comes out and wins right away. That guy, you know, blows up all the big sponsorship deals, all that stuff. So I think we attach ourselves to guys that we see more often. You know, Joaquin Neiman was a little more out of sight, out of mind as an amateur, playing golf in some other parts of the world. Now he would play the big events, the USAM, and he played a lot of big events in the U.S., but I think that could be part of it, and I think part of it is... We just, the narrative as we watch tournaments, I feel like we judge guys on how long they've been on the tour, not how old they are. Like Zalatoris just got his tour card, and everybody looks at Zalatoris as this pup who's coming out and trying to compete with the big boys. Zalatoris is 25, he'll be 26 in August. I mean, he's he's entering the age where he should be just about at his prime. But because Joaquin Neiman came out when he was 18, you know, we don't have the instant mega success from Joaquin Neiman. He has, you know, some good weeks and some wins, but he, he didn't come out and dominate at 19, 20 years old. He didn't do what Spieth did when he first jumped on the scene. So we're like, yeah, Joaquin Neiman, he's he's a good young player, and we forget that he's 23, and he's he's really a budding young star in the game of golf, so I thought it was really good to see him get the win this weekend, and you mentioned Cameron Young, who, like I said, is actually older than Joaquin Neiman, but is a PGA Tour rookie. He had a really good, uh, especially Friday, with that 62. You talk about being in a zone. He was in a zone Friday. I mean, it was pretty much him and Neiman, I felt like, were the only two guys on the weekend that had a chance to win the golf tournament. And yet it was still an entertaining golf tournament. So uh, Cameron Young did some really nice things, and I think he's a guy people will be keeping more of an eye on the rest of the year. Yeah, I definitely agree there, Colby. I think that it was fairly interesting watching on Saturday morning. I was watching a good amount of the tournament, and you know, watching Cameron Young come out, he made a, a fairly sloppy par on the first hole, hit it in the bunker, then left it in the bunker, but then was able to get it up and down and make like a, a nice here. Let me get the exact number here. I think it was about an eight-footer or so to um, – to kind of keep the round going on on that first hole, which was, you know, like we meant. Oh, it was a 15 footer actually. So I mean, it, it's looked even long, it looked shorter than that on TV. But yeah, 15 feet two inch putt for par, which essentially was a bogey on the first hole. To be able to come out and, and be able to make that putt 
after I mean he hadn't had been in a situation like this in his entire career. So to be able to come out and to have the pressure on you of knowing that well if I bo- I'm essentially going to double the first hole that's going to set you back a freaking mile. So it was really good to see him come out with with the clutch just do that. Ended up not making a a bogey at all. Really didn't make a bogey at all on on Saturday. Unfortunately, he did have a double on 16, which sent him back. And then he also uh, bogeyed. Uh, 16 yesterday missed about a 10 footer there so something about that 16th old Colby really got Cameron Young if not uh, if not for that he would have had a lot better chance to win in my opinion and one thing about this I don't know if you heard this um in the uh, broadcast Colby they said that his dad is the head pro at Sleepy Hollow one of the one Sam said is one of the best golf courses he ever played so I mean uh, I don't know if you heard that and what are your thoughts on that his dad being a pro at one of the best courses in the country yeah I did see that that's really cool that obviously means that he got to play I would think some pretty high level golf as he was coming up I had another question about Cameron Young I wanted to ask you though because you know there have been so many things going on in the game of golf we're going to talk about the Saudis later after the break all that stuff that went down this weekend just everything with the tour Tiger and when's Tiger going to be back there's been so much going on we've really just put the entire distance conversation on the back burner and I'm watching Cameron Young this weekend Taylor and he is one-handed finish hitting golf balls off the heel miss hitting them missing the center of the club face and it's 180 Four on the ball speed, 322 carry on some of these that he's mishitting. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, at some point the distance conversation is going gonna, is gonna to fire back up. Is Cameron Young going to become one of the poster children for the distance debate? Because he's hitting some tee shots that he clearly doesn't feel like he flushed, and they are miles down there. So what do you think of the way he was hitting the ball and how that could potentially tie in to a distance conversation? Well, I tell you what. I mean, we thought uh, we thought Hideki was the king of the paws at the top, and I think uh, our boy Cameron Young. Well, I keep wanting to call Chase Young, even though they don't look that alike <laughs> at all. But I keep wanting to call Chase Young. Uh, Cameron Young. I mean, he definitely has. I mean, a good full like non-transitional pause at all. I mean, it just sits there, and it's almost you talk about one one back and then one down. And so, I mean, he definitely separating the two. They're very interesting to see a, a son of a head pro swing like that. Very interesting. You don't see a lot of uh, people going down that road, but. You know what, Colby, you're talking about the distance debate. And, you know, I, I saw some of the numbers that were being this weekend, and I thought to myself, you know, not to the extent that you just did because it's something I hadn't really thought about, that how long it had been kind of on the back burner with Saudi and everything going on. But, you know, when is this going to come back again? When are people going to start complaining and saying that the ball's going too far? And it, it's hard for me to get on that, that train, Colby, when I, I watched the golf this weekend and – Every single golfer who landed a ball in the fairway, the ball rolled at least 50 yards, like every time. And I, I don't want to – I understand that the number is the 180 ball speed and miss hitting it and still going far. And, and the biggest complaint I think I have is whenever you miss hit a ball and you try to put side spin on it and the ball literally straightens out when it's in the air. I think those are the problems that, that I have with it. But I, I think that if people really want to start talking about distance, don't make the fairways run like freaking greens do. Um, like number 11, for example, um, I can't, I think it was Saturday when this happened. It may have been Sunday, but I think it was Saturday. Yeah, it was Saturday. Cause it was, uh, JT Cameron Young, Joaquin Neiman. Every single one of them landed the ball anywhere between 280 yards and 320 yards fly. So it's 40 yard difference. And every single one of their drives ended up in the same spot on 11, right through the fairway in the rough. And JT's ball, he had a little low ball, but it had to have run like 80 yards minimum. And I don't know, Colby. That's just going to be my my second qualm because my first one is we need to just make the, the fairways narrow and the rough taller. But my next qualm would be just if people are going to start complaining about the distance, 
don't have the fairways run so fast because balls are literally running 60 yards out there, Colby, and that's an easy way to stop distance right there. Yeah, and I think that it's a good distinction you made between, you know, the fair, firm and fast fairways and whether you complain about distance because I don't complain about distance and I like the firm and fast fairways. I think it makes the golf course play more difficult. It's harder to hold fairways. I think it's a lot more fun, but it's important that we have that kind of uh, context when we talk about the distance debate. Distance was insane this week at Riv. Riv was playing so firm and fast. Honestly, it's a testament to how good these guys are that the scoreboard reads 19, 17, 17, 14, 14, 13, couple of 12s. How many guys got it to double digits under par? 12 guys were double digits under par this week. And Taylor, you could just see it visually with the naked eye on the broadcast. This course is playing so firm and fast. I saw on Thursday, Dustin Johnson and Max Holmes' group came through. I think it was on number seven or number eight. And... I mean, both guys had like less than 80 yards in from the middle of the fairway, and neither one took it within 30 feet of the flag. And to me, that's a golf course that's like, it's challenging you. You want to pump driver down here way too far? Congrats. Now you can't go at the hole. It's just, let's talk about Riviera, Taylor, because I think that it is, and the players echoed this most of the week, I think it's one of the best you know, we can talk about number 10, but the rest of the course, I think, is a very fair test while also remaining difficult. So what, what were your thoughts on Riv and the way it played all four days? You know, you know, Colby, I had said this before. I think that of just the, the courses that have a – that don't host a major championship on a on – a, you know, I can't tell you the last time Riviera hosted a major, but in the, in the course that hosts a PJ tournament every year, I think that Riviera is my favorite, and this week definitely solidified that more. I – I think one thing that you that you saw from from the course is that it's it's so hard to hit the fairways, but on on a lot of holes it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. So it's you saw it on a lot of examples when the greens were extremely firm. Like I, on number one, I remember watching a lot of it where you'd have one guy just a couple inches in the fairway, the other guy was in the rough. They're they're in the same spot, and a guy is able to hit it. Land they both land on the front of the green and. One guy hits in and is able to keep it towards the middle part of the green, have about a 20-footer. And then the next guy, he lands in the same spot and he rolls off the back. And, you you know, you have a lot tougher two-putt when you do that. So definitely advantages to doing that. But at the same time, you weren't necessarily just – you weren't re-teeing if you, if you uh, just barely missed the fairway. So I thought that was good. Um, I definitely think one thing I want to get into, uh, I'll just kind of highlight it here and we'll talk about it a little bit more later, is Hovland's uh, take on the 15th hole. I think that's really cool. And not just Hovland, Thomas Peters, Aaron Wise, some other guys. I think that's really cool. It'd be interesting to see if they uh, they put a tree next to that tee box before next year's tournament. I think that may be interesting to see. But also going along with, with the course, Colby, I think that it goes to show that these these greens are probably, I don't necessarily know what the structure of grass on it, obviously, but I think the green complexes are probably my favorite on tour. And one of the reasons for that is that you see how penalizing it is for these guys whenever they miss greens, the type of variety of shots they're having to hit. Are they going to use a putter? Are they going to bump it into the hill? Are they trying to hit some mega flop shot? And there's gives you so much variety to play it. You see that with the uh, strokes gain numbers. A lot of guys really struggled around the greens this week, honestly lost a good amount of strokes around there. So it to show that hitting the greens extremely but also too, and this is my this is really my main point. I have I don't can't think of another course where I've seen more putts miss low throughout the whole tournament. And you know, everyone that's the classic phrase, you know, the high side is the pro side. And, you know, Colby, from what I saw, it seemed like every single pro is missing it low and that just goes to show when you get faster greens with that much slope on them, 
there's only so much that can be done. The, the biggest crave, obviously, was the 10th green this week. People talking about it's too severe with how fast the greens are, and it makes it almost an unfair hole, and we can – we can highlight on that if you want to. I would tend to disagree on that uh, to a certain extent. But I just think that looking back on it, I almost like this course even more. I have a little bit of complaint I want to get into in a second. But I have more appreciation, Colby, for the green complexes than I did even last year. What do you think on that, Tim? Yeah, I think that's really good. You look at waste management a week ago compared to Riviera this year. They're both great events, but they're great in remarkably different ways. I think waste management is throughout the year. It's the absolute best event. Uh, for the the casual golf fan and, and for you know people just want to have a great time and you know the diehards love it too it's a blast it's it's a ton of fun but then you go the very next week to Riv and I think that's really where golf nerds thrive is at Riv and watching Riv because it, it's such a different test it, it feels like a very pure test of the game of golf and to hear the players talk about it the way they play they, they talk about it to see you know it's Guys aiming up certain sides of fairways. Guys intentionally missing certain greens on certain sides in the rough because that's where you have to miss it. You just, you know, you know you can't go left here. You don't go left. On 10, you know you can't be right on 10. Nobody goes right on 10 unless it's a massive miss. So I think that as far as golf nerddom goes, Riviera is one of the best on tour for the golf nerds to look at and say, wow, the precision that is being required by this guys, it, it, these guys is, is so incredible and they're pulling it off because they are that good I mean I look at number 10 Taylor and let's get into number 10 a little bit because Justin Thomas is one of the best players in the world and I think his strategy is fascinating he lays up every day on that hole because he doesn't want to get in a compromised position around the green and you know it's easy to just lay up off the tee that particular shot is not difficult but the wedge shot in there still requires such precision I mean you're trying to land that wedge shot in a tiny little area especially to that back right pin if you go for the green, you can wind up in a compromised position. You got the trees to the left are pretty thick. That rough gets pretty thick. It's just, it's a weird hole. It's a quirky hole. It's an, an awesome hole, a frustrating hole. There's almost nothing in the world like it. What did you think of the way Riv number 10 played this week and your overall opinion on the hole? Leave it as it is. Tweak it. What do you think about it? So th- this is my this is my take on 10. I- I'll kind of get into the hole and I'll tell you how the only qualm I have about it is really where it sets on the course. So I think that just the more and more that we go along with, with technology and not just club technology, but with technology to get the greens faster, get those rolling better. I think that 10 is just starting to show even more teeth than, than it ever did. Um, people would think that, Oh, well, because you can hit the ball further now, it's like what well, they said, like 97% of the field or something like that <clears throat> went for that green every day. So, <clears throat> you know, people think, Oh, well, you can just hit a three wood or a, or some people hit drivers, some people can hit a five wood up there just to shore the green. But I, the real thing is just the green complex of it because, you know, the analogy they said was that you, you stand in the middle of green and, and set your arms out, uh, you know, like a wingspan type thing, you'll essentially cover the whole green. That's how narrow it is. And, you know, we didn't see it that much this week. There was a little bit of, of wind there, but I'm, what was it? Was it last year, two years ago, whatever, when Keegan Bradley was out there playing the whole the wind was blowing like 30 miles an hour and, literally couldn't keep a ball on that green on, on the 10th green. So I, I just think that as it's one of those holes where people talk about that, that technology ruins golf courses and can ruin the integrity of the hole. And in my opinion, technology actually makes this hole tougher as time goes along, um, which is really weird and something that you don't see very often, but here's my take on it, Colby. And, you know, I'm, I was trying to think of progressive ways to get around my issue and I, I may have found one. I want to see what your take is on this. I think that it is, 
it is utterly preposterous to have to start year-round on the 10th hole. I, I think that it is absolutely bonkers. It's asinine. It's dumb. And it's almost like it's it's almost as bad as starting Augusta number 10, in my opinion, and then trying to finish on nine instead of 18. There's just certain golf courses where, you know, certain golf courses, Colby, they have, it's almost like two nine-hole layouts, so it doesn't really matter what nine you start on. But Riviera is one of those courses where it's an integrated 18 holes, and they are so – the order matters so much. And, you know, I'm looking back on this, and I'm thinking, well, they have to do split tee times because of the field size. And, you know, I'm looking on it, and it's like from the last group in the morning teed off at 8.19 their time, and then the first group teed off at about um, 11.15. Uh, so my thought process was – I, I despise having to start on 10 so much that it's already, it's already a limited field with 120 players. I would almost rather see it be like a 90 to 100 player field and just do like the Open Championship does. Go from early as early as you can to as late as you can and just do either twosomes or threesomes and just everyone start on one. I think it's absolutely ridiculous to have to – that one person can – one one day you can start on the first hole, which is essentially a par four where you have to make birdie. And then the next hole, or number 10, is a par four where you can make three or you can make seven very easily. And it's a drivable par four like that. One of the best holes in the world should not be the very first hole you play. And then, you know, kind of like you said in a group text, Colby, it was like, well, you know, it's only one out of four rounds, so it, it really doesn't hinder that much. And that would be true, but they did split tee times on the back, on the on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. And then, so at that, and then at that point, you think, well, if, if you're already that far out of the field, it doesn't matter well. But the way Riviera sets up, if Neiman hadn't gone out there and been stupid like that, you could be easily be middle of the field and be um, and then be able to make a comeback because on because how they do it now is you know the 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 people that are the worst they'll tee off later too, so it's like the middle of the field and it goes inverse like that. So I don't know, Colby, what's your take on that? It's just it's just something about it despises me so much having to start on ten and, and then eleven and twelve after that great holes. I don't think those should be. Your first three holes of the day. Um, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, so I look at number 10. I, I think it's a really good golf hole. I think it's one of my favorite holes to watch throughout the year. Does it get a little quirky sometimes? Yes, but I love the precision that it requires, and I love how unique it is. Like, I, I don't need all holes all over the place to look the same. If a few guys think one hole a year at Riv is unfair, okay, then one hole a year at Riv is unfair, but it requires extreme precision. Go out and get it done. As far as starting on 10, it... Again, whenever we were talking about it Friday, we were texting about it. I'm like, yeah, it's only one out of four rounds. It doesn't really bother me. Then I looked at tee times for the next day, and I see that we're doing split tee times on the weekend, and I didn't understand the split tee times on the weekend because truly, doing having a, a full field and splitting tee times on Thursday and Friday, I understand, and I, I don't even mind because... I don't necessarily love the idea of, of limiting the field. The strength of the field goes down, less official world golf ranking points for this event. A guy like Cameron Young might not even have been in the field if it was limited. So I like the field, and I don't mind splitting tees on Thursday and Friday. But on Saturday and Sunday, I mean, that golf course very much is meant to be played 1 through 18. You start on 10, and it's, it's weird. It's weird if you start on 10, playing that three-hole stretch, 10, 11, and 12, to start your day. It's just weird. So I, I do... Wish that on the weekend they would go to normal tee times, teeing off on one. Uh, but I'm good with them doing it Thursday and Friday because I, I do think that the only alternative is probably sh shortening the field, uh, shrinking the field, and I don't totally love that idea. This is something that they would never do, Taylor, but just hypothetically, I mean, can you imagine if 
number 10 at Riv played as the 16th or 17th hole at Riv. And again, that's not the way the land works. They're not going to do that. But if that hole played as the 17th hole, kind of like the 17th that Scottsdale does, it would be unreal the swings that you might have late in the tournament. I, I kind of dream of a world where that's the 17th hole at, at Riv instead of 10 because I love that hole, but I think it'd be an even better hole if it came toward the end of the round. Boy, I mean, I think that's a really good point there. It's almost like, like you said with land, it makes everything so much trickier. But, like, let's just say, let's just let's just flip 10 and 16, the par three. Let's just, let's just switch those. And I think it's such a better golf course if you do that. Like, could you imagine that being the 16th hole? Right after you play 15, that, that part, that tough part four, then you play 16, which would be, which is 10 now. Then you play 17, the par, the par five, and then 18, which is the uh, tough uphill par four. It'd be one of the best, uh, four hole, closing four hole stretches. Definitely one of the best three hole stretches in golf. So, you know, it's just kind of, uh, you know, if we could kind of plot around the land or if we could somehow maneuver, get a time machine, go back and, uh, rearrange the holes, it'd be better. Or, you know, let's just get a, a, major shuttle or helicopter out there. Anytime someone gets on 15, let's just fly them over the 10 team and let them fly. Um, I, I mean, we're, we're just going to try to find any ways around it we can. Um, I will say this, Colby, you know, we, uh, we kind of poked fun at, uh, at the waste management last week for uh, them constantly keep going back to 18 for a playoff hole after just one, after another, after another. And I will say this, even though I wouldn't like it that much, they kind of did, they played it last year for one part of the playoff, but not the full thing. It wouldn't bother me that much if they just kept doing 10 back to back to back to back to back. I almost like – because last year when Homa and Fino were in the playoff, they went from 10. I think they went they, – I think they went to 16. They may have went to 14, but they went to a part three. And I almost would rather see them just keep going 10, 10, 10 again, in all honesty. Especially last year they had the, the flag up in the front, so it made it more exciting to look at. But even now with the back pin, it makes it interesting too because – not only do you have the approach shots, but that green up there is tricky too, Colby. So, I mean, you know, just because you have a three or four footer up there on that slope green doesn't make it good. No, you're right. I, I don't know that I would want to go 10-10-10 in a playoff. I want 10 to be part of the playoff, but because it is quirky, you know, you go play 10, you survive it, go play a couple other holes. If it still isn't decided, okay, then go back to 10. I, I wouldn't mind seeing it more a part of the rotation. But, uh, Taylor, we've got more stuff to get into. We, we've talked about Riv a lot, and it's a great golf course. It's a great event. Taylor, speaking of great, we had the great one. The GOAT, Tiger Woods on the broadcast, Wednesday presser out there, and Tiger was just pretty much everything that we expected from Tiger. He was very coy about when we might see him. Again, a whole lot of I don't know, a whole lot of I can swing, I need to be able to walk, a whole lot of you'll know when I know, and just being very, very coy about all of it. Nance was really pushing him. Nance was trying to get something out of him and didn't really get much. I think he did say he's going to Augusta this week, kind of hinted that the par three contest at the Masters might be in play. Uh, So what did you think of Tiger's appearance throughout the week, the way he looked, the way he talked, and what he said? Well, you know, a few things on that. And one is that, you know, everyone's kind of kind of hesitant to ask, ask the hard question, right? Tiger, when are you going to play again? When's it going to happen? You know, all, a lot of reporters are it's, – it's hard to be out there and ask that. So, if anyone's going to do it, Nance is, is your guy. And he, he tried to do – to take one for all of us. Unfortunately, Tiger wasn't biting. They actually were making some jokes about it when he was in the booth with them on, uh, on Saturday or whatever. So, that was really cool to see. Um, you know, the more and more I listen, Colby, the more and more I'm thinking, you know, it's, I, 
I almost want to try to give you and Sam an opportunity to buy out of your is he going to play the Masters bet, but I, it's too small of a bet that I can't get, get away to buy out, so I'll just have to take the canes and the pizza when it comes. But I, I don't think there's any any chance that he plays – I don't think he plays within the next five months, in all honesty, uh, not at least on a tournament level. And I think for us, I think the most logical time for him to come back would probably be around the memorial, the more and more you look at it. and. Even that may be a stretch because then I would assume that he's going to play the U.S. Open. And I'm, in all honesty, I think even St. Andrews looking that far ahead would be something to look at. I just think that you can tell the way he's talking that he's going to take his time. He's not going to rush this back at all. He's going to – and, you know, I think another element to that, Colby, is before he felt like that he was on a deadline, in a sense, to catch Jack's record. Um, felt like he only had so many years. It's almost like – Everyone just thought that once you got to age 46, because that's when uh, Jack won his last of that, oh, can't win after that. It's just not possible. But you see people like Phil, even old uh, Bernhard Langer out there, 63 or whatever, still doing what he does. Just shows that, especially someone like Tiger, the best of all time, he can play at this game for so long and keep on going. His career's not going to end at 50 or 52 uh, unless he wants it to, and or an injury obviously uh, happens. So I think that Tiger's definitely in for the long game here. And I, I still am on the belief that he is going to come back and he is going to play very high-level golf at some point. I just think it's going to be a little longer than we expected. I think that, in all honesty, I think we'll see him this year at some point, Colby. But I think the start of 2023 is really when we, we start to look at Tiger's return. Um, I'm not sure how you feel about that. Give us your take. Yeah, he said on Wednesday he, he essentially guaranteed that he will play the PGA Tour this year, but he he just gave no detail as to when it would be, where it would be, kind of what he's looking at as far as timeline and schedule. Every time he was asked about timeline, he's like, you know, I wish I knew. That's what he kept saying. He's like, I wish I knew when I would be back. And he just really didn't give us anything. He, did, he talked a lot about being a weekend warrior, and it's easy to get out there in a cart and do those things. Uh, I would say it definitely looks unlikely that he'll play the Masters at this point. You still don't know exactly how much he's giving us. Uh, I mean, there there was a guy yesterday who was at Riv tweeting about Tiger walking up the hill off the back of 18th Green, and he and he motored up it like he was in his prime. No big deal. It's one hill. I I don't know because I don't know how honest Tiger's being with us. We we have, we, we have no idea how honest Tiger's being with us. We've only seen him in a cart at the PNC. So. Tiger could be close and not want us to know he's close. He could be a year out and not want us to know he's a year out. So it's kind of like last week I said, take all the Saudi stuff with a grain of salt. I'm taking everything Tiger says with a grain of salt because I know that that he probably doesn't really want anybody to know anything until he's ready to debut it all. But I don't expect him to play at the Masters. I'm still holding out hope because I'm a degenerate. I'm a Tiger degenerate, so I'm still holding out hope. But no, I don't expect to see that. I would imagine this summer feels more realistic. But I don't know, Taylor. I I feel like if he's close, he's going to want to tee it up in at least one major this year, if not two. Again, that's if he's close, and I don't know if he is. But if he's even... I don't know, 80%. I mean, this guy, I, I just think he wants to tee it up in majors and see what happens. St. Andrews, obviously, is a place where he's had a ton of success and you don't have to step up and pipe driver all day to, to play well there. So, uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd be surprised if we don't see him tee it up in a major this year. Now, does that mean his game is ready to compete at a major? I would guess not after so long away from competitive golf, but he is still Tiger Woods, so just kind of taking it all with a grain of salt. But I do expect that we see him at at least one major championship that 
this year. If that's just St. Andrews, then that's just St. Andrews. But I think if he's close, that we might see him at a couple. Uh, but I think one is is for sure in the bag. So um, I don't know. He said he'll never play a full schedule again, Tyler. But every time we see Tiger, it's it's a good thing after what took place a year ago. And also, a lot of people pointed out, and I don't know if you noticed this, he looked better on the broadcast this year than he did a year ago. He looked a little more uh, lively. He looked like he was feeling a little bit better. I think people forget, right before the car accident, he had had another back surgery in December of 2020, and then he had the car accident in February of 2021. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you noticed, Tyler, but I thought Tiger looked a lot better this week than he did a year ago at this time. Yeah, ain't that crazy to think about? He looks better than he did. He looks better a year later than he did literally before his car accident. I mean, we, we saw that Sunday with Jim Nance, and it was it was not good. I mean, we all the memes went around and all that stuff of him. So, and and then we saw what happened a couple of days later. And so, to be where he's at now is truly remarkable. I, I will say I will say this about about Tiger and his return. It's you know definitely facial expression, and one thing too is that he just looks happy. And I think that. Whenever you have a, a near death experience like that, it, it it can kind of put you into reality and say, Man, you know, I'm happy to be alive and you know, I'm not saying Tiger ever felt like this, but when you have more money than you, you know what to do with, you can kind of lose track of what's important to you whenever it comes to family, friends, all that stuff. So I think that and even even on a spiritual level. So I think that Tiger it seems like he's got a little bit of that uh, come on, just from what it looks like to me. I will say this though, he he alluded to this when he was talking with Nancy and him, it's like you know, his back injury and stuff, they didn't just magically disappear and go away when he had the car accident. I mean, those things are still there. So, you know, we keep looking at, well, can he walk on these golf courses and all that? And that's by far the number one question right now. But I think that the back is something we have to look at as well. And, you know, it, you can, it can be a blessing in disguise in the sense of, well, he didn't swing for very fast for a full year. So maybe that gave his back some rest or, it could be in the aspect of, well, he wasn't working as much as he could on it, or the ankle made it to where he had to put more strain on his back when he did just regular daily activities. So that could also be an issue. But uh, obviously, like we mentioned, the walking thing is by far number one. But the back is still there. I just want people to realize that. And this is this is my number one qualm I had about people asking about the part three contest. Like Nancy, I believe some uh, reporter did as well in his uh, Wednesday uh, interview. It's there is literally zero chance that if Tiger's going to play the Masters that he plays the part three contest. So it's like if he plays the part three contest, he's not going to play the Masters. Like he's not going to walk an extra nine holes for no reason if, if he's under that much stress. And if, if it's his first tournament back, he's not going to do that. He's going to rest as much as he can. So I think that anyone who is listening to that and counting on the fact that, oh, well, Tiger will play the part three and he'll play the Masters, that's like the biggest pipe dream ever. That's not going to happen. If he's going to play the Masters, he's not going to play the part three. And if he plays the part three, it'll be in good spirits and Tiger will hopefully say, I'm really close to recovery, but I'm not. I'm just not there yet. And it will hopefully be a good sign for us. But I mean, Colby, there's zero chance that he does both of them. I mean, see, absolutely zero. Yeah, I agree. He's not playing the par three and playing the Masters. Wouldn't make any sense to do so. So I, I totally understand why Tiger wasn't answering those questions and wasn't giving us anything because I, I do believe that he doesn't know exactly when he'll be back yet and why hint at things and fuel the fire if, if he doesn't know exactly when he'll be back. But we'll, we'll keep tracking his progress, and every time we see him, we'll try to dig in and see what he's getting into. Let's take a break. We're going to come back on the other side. We're talking scorecards. We're talking Saudis. We're talking Corn Ferry. A lot more to get into. Stay with us here on the 73rd hole the official podcast of golf oklahoma when something the size of a golf ball hits your roof you need to call mccray roofing 
McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. here on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphrey's hanging out in Scottsdale today. He waited for the crowds to leave, and then he went down to Scottsdale. Shot him a nice little 69 at the Raptor course at Greyhawk the other day. Fired back with a 76. Came back down to earth a little bit. Uh, he's been posting about it on Twitter, and we retweet those from the 73rd hole. At the 73rd hole on Twitter, 73rd hole on Instagram. And remember, wherever you're listening to this podcast, take a minute, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. We appreciate you listening here on the 73rd hole and head over to golfoklahoma.org check out everything they've got coming your way as well taylor it was a great great weekend for one mr cameron young cameron young finishes t2 at riv a huge event that's got elevated status now moves him taylor from 113 to 53 in the official world golf rankings taylor that means that in one week at riv he was able to lock himself into the wgc match play down in austin and the pga championship so we will see cameron young at southern hills also he's playing honda this week if he gets into the top 50 after this week that gets him into the players and if he's in the top 50 after the match play in five weeks he's into the masters so a big big week for cameron young at riv uh yeah so great stuff from him the pause at the top not such a great week for your boy Wyndham Clark, Tyler. You uh, apparently picked a guy in DraftKings who struggles to keep his score. Is this is this my understanding of the situation? That is the way I understand it myself, Colby. Um, I, I am I'm trying to figure out what happened. I get up and you know on Friday morning I check my DraftKings and I know Wyndham Clark wasn't playing his best, but I figured you know because he was supposed to play in the morning, so I'm thinking okay, well we can at least come back and you know get something figured out. But um, you know he, he just comes out and. Apparently, I see a DQ by his name, and I'm like, what in the world happened? So I get on here, and I'm looking at it, and he's apparently signed for an incorrect scorecard. And, you know, my question, Colby, is is this 1985? Is this 1975? I mean, why in the world are we still getting disqualified for signing an incorrect scorecard? We have it to where you can literally see every player's shot after they hit it, like every shot. And, and I get there are some shot link errors from time to time. That does happen. But the point is still the same of, I mean, what? Do, are you going to ask LeBron James after the game to sign if he made a bucket or not? Or are you going to let Tom Brady, hey, did you complete this pass or not? We need you to verify if you did did make this happen or not. And so, I don't know, Colby. It's 2022, and I'm just like, why Why in the world are we still getting disqualified for this? It just adds on to the element of golf. Just The rules are just ridiculous, and this just adds to it, Colby. Yeah, I, 
you've got walking scorers with every group. You've got people updating it constantly. There are so many people around every group. You've got the playing partners in your group. Everybody's keeping score. If we get to the end and a guy accidentally wrote down five when he should have written down six, or, or it could even go the other way. Here's the crazy thing to me is if you cheat yourself, like let's say a guy accidentally writes down five when he made four, that still is going to get you DQ'd from the tournament. And, and that's just a, literally a mistake. I don't understand why we can't come together after the round, look at the scorecards, get everything done, make sure everything's good. If there's an error, let's figure out the error. Let's get it fixed, and let's move forward. I don't think that if you eliminated this rule, there would be this mass influx of cheaters come in on the PGA Tour where we start to see guys shave one or two shots here because you're going to get called out. That's not going to – like, everybody's going to know it happened because we've got it on TV, we've got it on camera, we've got walking scorers, we've got playing partners. It's not going to lead to this wave of cheating and getting DQ'd for signing an incorrect scorecard has real-life consequences. A guy like Wyndham Clark, now he wasn't going to do what Cameron Young did this week, but what if he has a great weekend and it vaults him up 60 or 70 spots in the world golf rankings? I mean, these are real-life consequences that we have here, and I know Wyndham Clark is responsible for signing his own card. Somebody will tweet us that. Yes, he's responsible for signing his card. He's responsible for making sure it's correct. But mistakes do happen, and I think it's crazy that there's just no wiggle room to make sure that everything is good. I, I don't know. It just it still feels very weird to me, like it does to you, Taylor, that we're still signing scorecards on the PGA Tour. Uh, not that necessarily that we're still signing them, but that we're still getting DQ'd over common mistakes. Um, let me ask you this, Taylor. This just popped in my head. I didn't even plan on getting into it today, but we started talking about cheaters. Was Patrick Reed, did you see the video of him like seemingly pulling something out of his pocket, rubbing it on his club face of his wedge, and then putting it back into his pocket before he hit a shot on, no. I believe it was Thursday? No, I did not see that. No, 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 no. I have to look that up. Oh, man. But was it like was it actually like a substance he was doing, or was it like a tea and he's like trying to clean his groups? I don't I'll have know. To look it up. I don't. You need to watch it because for anybody who hasn't seen it, Google it, search it on Twitter, try to find it. It looks pretty clear. He holds the face of his wedge like right next to his right pocket. He then pulls something out of his right pocket, rubs it on the face, and then puts it back into his right pocket. But. His hand never never gets more than an inch out of his pocket. I mean, he's got the club face right next to his pocket. If it wasn't Patrick Reed, we probably don't think much of it. Since it was Patrick Reed, it made its rounds on Twitter a little bit over the weekend just because it's Patrick Reed. So, yeah, if you find that, maybe we'll get into it later in the show or later in the week. But are we ready to talk some Saudis, Taylor? I think that's what everybody's been waiting on. Have, have you caught your breath? We're, we're ready to talk Saudi? Yeah, we need our we need our daily uh, recommended um, uh, or yeah, or what is our rumor mill for the Saudi thing? I will say this, Colby. That's a good point that you make though about it being Patrick Reed because that's another reason why we don't need to sign scorecards because if you get caught cheating or everyone suspects you cheating, you're gonna have a camera on you literally everywhere you go and every single thing you do is gonna be under a microscope. So I think that's a really good point you make. Just want to solidify that. But yeah, hit us with our daily Saudi rumors that we all. Need. All right, so this really took a turn over the weekend. We, we've kind of been waiting for something to drop here. We've either been waiting for announcements that guys are going to play for the, the Saudis on the whatever tour they were going to call that, or 
committing themselves to the PGA Tour, and it, it was going to go one way or the other. It very much went the way of the PGA Tour over the weekend to the point that uh, Rory called the SGL dead in the water and said, who's left to go? Now, this all kind of blew up with Phil's comments that he made to Alan Shipnuck uh, a couple of months ago, but they just became public this last week talking about the Saudis. He called them some scary mother effers. He said, we know they killed Khashoggi, the Washington Post reporter that the uh, Saudi Arabian regime murdered. He said, we know that they execute people for being gay over there, but they're going to give me some leverage against the tour. These comments did not go over, I would imagine, in any way, shape, or form that Phil thought they would. So what I found particularly interesting was what Rory McIlroy had to say over the weekend. He was asked about his press conference earlier in the week. He called it the not-so-super league. He said he, he doesn't see why anybody would go over there. It's not all about the money. There's more to it than that. But then yesterday, he was asked about Phil Mickelson. And this is what Rory had to say about Phil's comments And it's very interesting because he kind of went Ricky Bobby where he said, I don't want to so-and-so, but then he went right into it. I don't want to kick someone while he's down, obviously, but I thought Phil's comments were naive, selfish, egotistical, and ignorant. A lot of words to describe that interaction he had with Shipnuck. It was just very surprising and disappointing. Sad. I'm sure he's sitting at home sort of rethinking his position and where he goes from here. Taylor, you combine those comments with Rory from the fact that now Bryson and DJ, two very big rumored names, have said that they're committed to the PGA Tour. Hovland said that he just wants to play where the best players in the world are, and if that's the tour, he's going to play the tour. JT, Rory, Morikawa, Rom have all fully committed now and said we are with the PGA Tour. This, uh, it was going to go one way or the other, and it kind of looks like it went the way of the PGA Tour over the weekend. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to see how this kind of just shows how fast everything can change, right? I mean, we went from hearing that there was 17 players already signed. Graham Hickcock came out and said that. Also, you know, there's a report that there was that sadly officially got 20 players now. So then they were going to make an announcement here pretty soon. They were going to have their first event during the Players' Championship just to be petty. And so I will say this about Phil in particular is that, boy, his comments did not look good at all. I mean. This is basically what he said. He basically said, yeah, you know, these people are like some of the worst people in the world, but we really need to make the PGA Tour better, so I'm going to uh, side with these murderers. I mean, he literally called them murderers, like right before that, and said, I'm going to side with them to try to uh, make the Tour better. And it's like, you know, once again, there are so many damn ways that you can try to make the Tour better instead of siding with siding with some some murders so, and, I mean, and Taylor, I think again is- to hear you say it out loud to, and to actually phrase it like that which is the correct phrasing phil called the murderers and then in the same statement went on to talk about how they would make good partners because they would get him leverage over the tour to, to, just to hear you phrase it like that out loud it's just wild and it puts it in perspective like did phil think he was making a good point when he said that stuff and it's you know, obviously, you made you made a good point earlier too, Colby, about uh, you know the comments were a few months old, and so they just came out. So you know, th- there is a, a chance you never know things can get kind of pieced together, scrapped up to make them sound. But yeah, at the same time, it's I don't understand how you ever say those comments within the same lifetime and think that it's going to work out for your favor. So you know that that definitely it, it hurts the uh, the uh, the image was already messed up, so that's not the problem. But it definitely makes things look a lot worse because you know i was thinking about this colby and it's like 
you know, the PJ Tour doesn't want competition. That's the main number one thing. It's like they keep saying it's about the, the murderers, and uh, it has a lot to do with it. And, you know, my thought was, well, you know, let's just say there's a tour that comes up down the line, and it, it wants to be essentially what the Saudi League is now, but without the corrupt money. And so I was thinking, well, what would the PGA Tour, you know, what would they say to kind of make a ruckus about it? And in my opinion, that would have been probably guaranteed contracts. That's kind of the way they would have went, went to complain, because they would have found something to complain about. They weren't just going to let it work. But now, even with Phil, who is by far the biggest player who was rumored to go over there, um, at least the biggest draw when it comes to uh, viewer watchership, Bryson's probably the best uh, future polarizing player who's been rumored. But I think that with Phil saying all that stuff, it's it it definitely hurts the outlook. And you know, I'll even say this too, Colby. I think that even from the get go, the unless the the Saudi league was able to get a lot of young players, I think the business model was flawed anyway. It's you know, we talking about all the guys that are rumored: Phil, Lee Westwood, Adam Scott, um, Henrik Stenson, Ian Poulter all these kind of older guys who are on the back end of their career. And I, I think it was Rory who said it. I may be wrong, and I'm paraphrasing on this anyway, whoever it was, is that, you know, it's essentially going to be a, a step up to the Champions Tour. It's going to be like PGA Tour, Saudi League, then Champions Tour. And whenever you're dishing out that much money, Colby, I, I don't see how that's going to work uh, long term, especially when you're giving out guaranteed money and people don't have to do anything. And their, their golf games will probably get get worse in that aspect because they don't have anything to play for. So there's there's a lot of flawed business that was already there. And now you add the pub now even this public scrutiny that was already there is getting worse and worse now. It's not a good look for it. But you know, if they already have twenty guys that are already technically under contract and sign it, I mean and unless something falls through, they're already locked up. So definitely gotta still look out for the news, Colby, but at the same time it uh, it just goes to show that these things can change Every single day, which makes it really exciting for us, but at the same time, it makes it kind of clueless because you're like, man, where in the hell is this going to go from here? But it is exciting. Yeah, and when those the rumors of the 20, 20 guys being, uh, you know, pretty much committed to play over there and stuff, that doesn't necessarily mean signed contracts. I mean, committed and contracts are different. So, Very true. I mean, Very a, true. a guy, let's just throw out a name that's been rumored. I, I have no idea if Bubba Watson planned to go. We'll just use his name for the sake of argument. Maybe Bubba committed but didn't sign anything, and then everybody else comes out and says, nope, we're staying with the PGA Tour. Well, now I don't think these guys are going to go be over there by themselves. Another thing Rory said, he was asked if Bryson and DJ coming out and announcing they're sticking with the Tour will be the end of the Super League. Rory said, yeah, who's left? Who's left to go? I mean, there's no one. It's dead in the water, in my opinion. I just can't see any reason why anyone would go because at this point, Taylor, if it winds up being Bubba Watson, Harold Varner, um, I don't know, Sam Burns, Harris English, Jason Kokrak, Corey Connors, Tommy Fleetwood, Paul Casey. I mean, are, are people tuning in to watch those golf tournaments? Because I don't think they are. Certainly not to the level of financial commitment that this tour and this regime was prepared to make. I just, I don't see how this works now if you can't pull over any of the really big guys and a decent handful of them. And it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to. So, with, without some of those guys, I just – I don't see how it works. I kind of agree with Rory. I think it's dead in the water. Well, and, you know, the the example you made there, it makes it a lot easier for the major organizations to say, hey, you know, we can just put bans on these players, right? Because if you're not getting any of the top 10 or 15 players out there, and even if, even if Phil goes, right, it's like it's still hard to do. But 
if you don't get four of the top ten players in the world, it's a lot easier to say, hey, you're not allowed to play on the tour because they're not really missing that much, right? The tour is not going to miss that much, especially from already aging players when, I mean, we talk about all the time, just look at the Corn Ferry Tour. I mean, there's so many guys out there that can play good golf that may actually even be better players than the guys that are leaving over there in some aspects. Um, it's just the timing aspect. And, you know, within two or three years, these guys who may be getting spots of, uh, you know, it, just it, under your scenario right there, let's say they did get banned, the guys who are getting spots may end up being better players, maybe world beaters within the next two or three years just because of these opportunities they're getting. And, you know, also, too, you know, kind of going to your point earlier about commitment, it's it's basically like the, the college football uh, recruit, right? It's verbal commitment versus signed letter of intent. And so you can give a verbal commit all you want. You can give a verbal commit when you're 12 years old. But until you sign that letter of intent, Nothing matters. So that's a really good point you make. They could have, they could have had all these great players say, "Hey, yeah, let's come and, and commit. We're going to play the tour." And now they say, "No, we're not going to do that." So yeah, that's a really good point you make. And all, honestly, that is probably the case of what's happening in my opinion. Yeah, and by the way, I found the uh, quote that I was looking for from Rory earlier. This quote, Taylor, was now seven hundred and eighteen days ago. Rory McIlroy was asked about this proposed Saudi league seven hundred and eighteen days, nearly two full years ago. Rory McIlroy's quote. I didn't really like where the money was coming from. Rory has been very solid on this the entire way, and I think that either side, either the PGA or the SGL, was looking for a really big name to come out and be the leader and, and get people fired up about being where they're at, and that was Rory. Rory Rory was the leader. Rory stepped up. Rory said some of the things that other guys were kind of tiptoeing and tap dancing around. Rory criticized his peers, and Taylor, whether it's the stuff that he said at the Ryder Cup earlier this year, the stuff he said last year about distance, Rory just always seems to hit the mark whenever he speaks. He always seems like it's so well thought out. He's thought about what he wants to say, how it's going to be perceived. And when Rory talks, people listen. And I think he's kind of turned into, whenever it comes to big issues in the world of golf, I think he's the number one leading voice right now. And I think this weekend kind of uh, cemented my stance that he is the number one leading voice in the game of golf as far as getting things done and, and doing things of that nature. So what do you think about Rory and the way he's kind of embraced uh, being a leader worldwide, globally in the game of golf? Yeah, I definitely think that that you're spot on with what you're saying about Rory. I do think that Phil kind of had that, that grasp for a while and now over the last few months especially he's really tarnishing that reputation so I do think that Roy can take that threshold and hopefully he can try to be a leader for the PGA Tour in particular I know obviously he plays a lot on the DP World Tour so hopefully he's not focused more on that and so because you want your leader the guy who's going to lead the voice voice of golf it's going to be uh, if you want the PGA Tour to grow and be better they need to be able to voice their opinions for what can better the tour not just you know uh, DP World Tour stuff like that. So no, and I will say this about Rory too, and it makes his it makes it a little easier to be morally objective when what was it now ten years ago now he signed for two hundred million dollars with Nike. So it's you know he already has the all the money in the world to do it. He even made comments about that. What he said he had like three or four rooms in his house that he hadn't even been in, or it was something along. No, the okay. Lines, like so I, I, the comments he said, look, that money isn't going to change these guys' lives. He said, I have so much more money than I had a decade ago. My life isn't any different. I still use the same three to four rooms in my house. I still go to the same places. I still do the same stuff. And he's right. At some point, when you have so much money. More of it doesn't actually change your quality of life, and I think that's just kind of what he was alluding to. 
Yes, and I that that goes to the exact point I'm trying to make here, where it's you know he already has that, and Roy's already an, an honest down there guy. But like you mentioned, someone like the comments that we listed saw about Jason Kokrak about how you know if he can get enough sign a deal to where he can make enough money to where his kids' kids are going to be set, then it's hard for him to not essentially he phrases and it's hard to not take that opportunity and you know with Rory's extensive contract with Nike along with his obviously great golf that he's played over the last 15 years but you know he doesn't have to worry about money so he can he can look at some corrupt murderers and say okay well yeah I'm not going to side with you that's probably not the best thing to do and but you get guys who are just wanting the best for their families and you know they they want to set that up so I just think that there's but that is the difference though right is that like someone like Kokrak isn't going to be worth two hundred million dollars or even one hundred thirty million or some of these rumors that the other players are getting. That you're looking at like an Ian Poulter thirty million type of guy, which is depending on how big your tier is, is probably a fair number. But but yeah, I think that this this last weekend was was very eye opening to especially I think a select amount of golfers, someone like Rom in particular, right, who had kind of wasn't necessarily rumored, but never wasn't ruled out of it, obviously, and he had very strong words about it. I will say this though, Colby, and I want your take on this. Like Tiger definitely came out and said that he basically sided with the tour in a lot of instances. Definitely never mentioned anything about the Saudi League or anything like that. But you know, he did mention some past feuds that the players have had with the tour, and and did not, and basically phrased it as in like he thought that there needed to be a better looking at how the media rights were given out, kind of like what Phil was saying, just not to the same extent. So what are your thoughts on that? It seemed like everyone was coming out and saying how Tiger just was like defending the tour so much and he loved it. But I took it as in like he still thinks there needs to be some change. Uh, did you interpret it that way? Yeah, so the way I interpreted it was essentially him saying there are some things the tour can do better, but let's not act like the tour hasn't done some good things and hasn't been good for the players and hasn't been good for the game of golf. I, I think that he was trying to walk the tightrope of acknowledging that the PGA Tour is an unbelievable place for the world's best to showcase their skills, to make life-changing money. You know, Tiger's one of the top three, I think, grossing athletes of all time. Phil is the 11th highest grossing athlete of all time. If you become a superstar in that league, you're going to make as much money as anybody else in any other sport. So I think he was trying to walk that tightrope, Taylor, between Yes, there are things that the tour can do better, and and those discussions need to be had, and we need to make sure everything out here is good and is equitable and everybody's happy. And and he was trying to make that point while also saying that the tour is still where guys need to be. It's still where the history is. It's still where the prestige is. Because let's keep in mind, a guy like Rom, a guy like Rory, they've got so much money that they're never going to run out. Those guys are playing for prestige at this point, and the PGA Tour is where you get it. So I think Tiger was trying to walk the fine line between, yes, the Tour can do some things better, but let's not get crazy here and go play for the Saudis. Well, and I think that, you know, that's that's a good point you make there about wanting to play for prestige because these guys that already have a major championship and are wanting to potentially try to get to double-digit majors. I know Rory and, Rory's and Rom are definitely a long ways away from that, but that's probably their goal at the end of the day, and it's <clears> – <throat> You know they're wanting to. You want to be on the right side of history when you're when you look back on your career. And I think that a lot of these guys view it as the aspect of if you go join with the Saudis, you're going to be on the wrong side of history because it's not going to work. And I don't know to what extent it would happen, but you'd probably be victimized some way when it came to golf. You either would be banned from the tour or at least be scrutinized for it, especially if the Saudi league didn't work out, which 
from the way it's sounding. And, and, and you know, I just want to say this too, Colby. I do think that players – I think it still will be a thing, and I do think players will still go, but it's not going to be near the impact of what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be bigger – I, I, even with the same amount of players may go, they may still get 20 players or 25, 30 players, even more. But I don't think it's going to be the big names uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So, like I said, I do think it'll happen. And I I just – I don't – it's not going to have the biggest impact, I think. Well, I think it's going to be a failed, a failed business endeavor. It really is going to be with it, whether it be five years, ten years down the line, whether it be two years down the line. But they come out tomorrow and say it's not going to work. But nevertheless – I think that a lot of these players, just like you mentioned, they just want to play for prestige. You've got to be on the right side of history. And I think a lot of these kind of guys who are working their way into be into the Hall of Fame, if not, I wouldn't say guys that are already in the Hall of Fame because like Phil and all that we've seen, but the younger guys wanting to be there are don't want to be on that wrong side of history. And I think we saw that this week. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I think that's a good place to wrap up our Saudi conversation. Taylor, I just texted you the video of Patrick Reed from this week. You watch that, and while you watch that, I'm going to tell the good people about our friends at Ring Family Dentistry. Ring Family Dentistry, they go out of their way to ensure all treatment is as comfortable as possible. Leading-edge technology delivering same-day crowns for more than 20 years. Ring Family Dentistry. All decisions are made by the patient. Doctors Philip and Brennan Ring have a simple philosophy – Work with what you have, save what you can, replace what you can't. While some dentists can overtreat, it is their philosophy that patients in their office should only have done what they absolutely need. If we can't show why treatment is needed, it will not prescribe it. They're, they will explain their opinion, answer any questions, and ultimately leave all decisions to the patient. Give them a Google Ring Family Dentistry. Taylor, did you have time to watch the Patrick Reed video? I am watching it as we speak, Kobe. I am... I, I don't know what to think of it. I really don't. I'm. I mean, what's happening there? It's. It almost seems like to me that like he's trying to wipe off his club face, but yeah, he doesn't want to get his pants dirty, and so he's taking the in the inside of his pocket to wipe it off. Or he might be one of those like thirty handicaps that has those little mini brushes in your pocket, and that's what he's using. I don't know. That is so weird. It could easily be like some. I kind of like the uh, the uh, the quote is. Uh, alluding to here maybe some sort of substance but i don't know what it would be that is i don't know Kobe. that's a really really weird look um you know if it was someone like rory or someone like that wouldn't think too much of it but the notorious cheater patrick reed himself I, i'm a little curious here i don't know what do you think it is uh I'm, I'm scrolling through just some of the comments here some people are saying that they think that he's pulling the liner of his pocket out to wipe the club face off because he is wearing some bright white pants. And, uh, you know, we talk about all the money these guys have. Patrick Reed does not have a clothing sponsor aside from his PXG hat, so maybe he doesn't want to ruin his white pants out there on a nice day at Riviera. It just... It's just a bad look because it's Patrick Reed, Taylor. Again, it's one of those things. If it wasn't Patrick Reed, we'd just probably be like, oh, yeah, the guy's just wiping off his club face. Just the fact that it's Patrick Reed makes it weird. Also, the fact, how often have you ever seen a guy take his pocket liner out? And it it, it honestly looks like that's what he's doing. But how often have you ever I'm, seen a guy take his... I've never seen it. I'm, no, ever. And and the weirdest thing is you never, I've never seen Patrick Reed do it. Right. So it's like, well, what you know, what, what is he getting into now? But, I mean, they... I don't know. I, the, the video is kind of blurry, so it's hard to see. They do, like... There are definitely some light pants. I can't tell. Are they just, like... Stone Cold White, are they kind of like a like a? They're not khaki by any stretch, but I don't know, like a lightish gray. Nevertheless, they're they're definitely some pants you don't want to get dirty. 
So that is definitely what it looks like he's doing. But that is that is so, so weird. And I will say this. Just going back to your point, Colby, about how if you get caught cheating, you're going to be uh, accused of it for a long time. This video out there already has 372,000 views on it. So this is definitely a situation that people do not take too kindly yeah, and again, because it's Patrick Reed, and everybody looks to jump on, and, you know, again, not accusing of cheating, just a weird video that I thought people should watch and just see what Patrick Reed's going on. Another reason, Taylor, that I don't actually think he was cheating, he was six over well outside the cut line with no chance to make it, and I do think that you can call it a coincidence, you can call it karma, you can call it whatever you want. Taylor, do people realize how far downhill Patrick Reed's game has gone since the embedded ball incident at the Farmers? He is a shell of what he used to be at the golfer as a golfer. He is losing so many strokes gained in so many categories over the last six months. He is he is struggling right now with his golf game, Taylor. Oh, I mean, it's you know looking back on in the world golf rankings, he's. Uh... He's only dropped down to like 28th. I thought he would have been further than that, but I looked on it and it's like he hasn't doesn't have very hardly any high finishes at all. I mean, he, he was still top he, 10 in the world as of last summer. So Rocket Mortgage after the Rocket Mortgage, he was ninth in the world. He hasn't cracked the top 10 since. So it's really been since middle of last summer when his game's really fallen off a cliff. Well, and you, and you look at it too, Kobe. You know, we're looking at the World Golf, but we, uh, you know, we like to use the analytics here. So Data Golf has him ranked as the 78th uh, ranked player in the world. He's, he is behind the likes of Bern Wiesberger, Chris Kirk, uh, boy Matt Jones, Pat and Kazire, and he's just ahead of guys like Russell. Matt Jones. Oh, it makes the soul feel so good to hear. It truly does. Uh, Russell Knox, Aaron Rye, Gary Woodland, Sahit Tigala is just the guys right below him. So for a guy who, like you said, Cole, is top 10 in the world and it gets to go to play in the Masters every single year till the day he dies, which makes me want to throw up just thinking about it. it uh, he's got a long ways to go, and, you know, he, he may be able to get it back, but it's interesting because you want to know if is all the cheating stuff really kind of what's getting him back or is it just something else going on with his life? Um, one thing that's helped his world ranking, he did finish third at, at the Hebrew, which now gets world ranking points, and he did finish second at the uh, – the infamous Bermuda Championship that had the strength to field a 68 in it. So that uh, those are the things that are really keeping uh, P. Reed's official uh, world ranking up at this point. Yeah, absolutely. All right, good stuff. Uh, Taylor, Corn Ferry Tour. It was a great finish over the weekend. Our guy Michael Gellerman had the 54-hole lead. It was only a one-shot lead, and, y- you know, somebody tweeted at him yesterday wondering, you know, can't close, can't get the 54-hole lead. A one-shot lead after 54-hole lead is essentially insignificant. It's anybody's game at that point, especially when it's so bunched up. It wasn't like the Genesis where there were two guys way out front and everybody else was chasing. It was a jam-packed leaderboard, so uh, doesn't end up getting it done. Ben on actually, kind of a popular name on the PGA Tour. He's been a lot of fun on Twitter. He ends up winning the golf tournament at 17-under. Michael Gellerman finishes two back at 15-under, which was T6, but another good week on the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, and, and despite not winning the golf tournament, a very good week from Michael Gellerman. Yeah, I mean you're spot on, Kobe, with your with your spot. I mean it's having a one. I think I saw you you tweeted that what a one shot lead is like having a, a one point lead going into the fourth quarter of a of an NBA game yeah. or an NFL game. It's like it's so undeterminable at that point. It's ridiculous, especially you know. I think this is. This is one of the better corn fairy events I remember seeing. I mean, obviously the, these fields just get better and better every year, but but Ben on Will Gordon, Mark Hubbard, Sean O'Hare, uh, obviously Bob Ben on the tour. I mean, these are all guys who 
not just have been on the tour, but played numerous, numerous years on the PJ tour. So, I mean, these guys can play. And so I think that you saw a lot of guys get in this field because the uh, Genesis field was so good. So this is one of the better corn fairy fields you'll see. And, you know, unfortunately, our man Bobby did lose by two. Unfortunately, he did make a double on the last hole, but did make three birdies on the back nine to propel him into that position. Started off slow as well with a double, but then was able to get only one over on, on the front nine after that. And so had it rolling for a little bit, had a great chance. But, you know, Colby, I think at the end of the day, these are really just mainly learning experiences that you take and so you can be better the last time. And, you know, at the end of the day, if someone asks you before you start the tournament, hey, would you take T6 this week and move on? A lot of people would probably take it. So it can be bittersweet in the moment, especially, and you want to be better. But at the same time, the end result isn't the end of the world by any stretch. Well, and I just want to go back to how just kind of insignificant a one-shot lead is through 54 holes in what is such a jam-packed field. Taylor, 21 guys. Again, this was not the genesis. 21 guys finished within four shots of the lead. I mean, there were so many guys who could still win this golf tournament. A one-shot lead through 54 was not going to be the difference. So, good stuff from Michael Gellerman. A good week. I know he'll be disappointed not to hoist the trophy, but long way to go on the Corn Ferry Tour season, and he got some good points uh, this week. Taylor, anything else we missed before we get out of here? And Sam will be back with us Wednesday. We'll preview the big Honda Classic because you you know what the Honda Classic means, Taylor. You know you know what it means, right? Hey, who's our defending champion? Matt Matt Jones. Matt Jones. Uh. And let's not let's not forget, Colby. What, I mean, let me look at the official stat here. What did he win by? Five shots or six strokes or something like that? It was just a dominating, a dominating performance for my man Matt Jones last year. He ran away with it and he did it with an average five shots. Five? Okay, yeah, he wins by five. Taylor, he did it with an average time per shot of like nine seconds. And dominated the field. It was a brilliant display of golf. So good, fun Honda Classic week. Uh, Taylor, we're back. We're back Wednesday. Uh, parting shots on Riv. Uh, it's I, it still lives up there. With one of my probably my favorite golf course. The tour goes to year to year. I, I, I want to find out some constructive way to get it to where we don't have to tee off on ten very often. Um, but I, I'm I love the golf course and. You know, I'm excited for Wednesday, Colby, because I got to hear some some insights on Greyhawk from our man Sam, and I also want to hear about the Hump Man's game because uh, seemed like from the scorecard he had an up and down round, but uh, towards the end there, Colby seemed like he was making some birdies. Oh yeah, birdies at the end are always good. Greyhawk's always good, so it'll be good to have Sam back on Wednesday. Give us his review. So uh, good stuff. Ribs a great spot. It was a great weekend for golf. Great weekend for the PGA Tour. That's all today. We're back Wednesday with more. Thanks for listening here on the seventy third hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. <laughs>